Welcome to Whole Lot of Wolves, Episode Eight of Season Four. We're your hosts. I'm Joshua Buckley. I'm Paul Page. Joining us again, our social media extraordinaire in the Washington D.C. area, Mr. Danny Paletti. How's it going, Danny? Better every day since Saturday. <laughs> and one of our favorite guests from Charlotte Wolves FC, Mr. Brian Donnelly. How's it going, Brian? Great, guys. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, nice talking with you. And uh, boy, oh boy, you picked a good show to be on, huh? I know. Normally you pull me on after horrible, depressing losses. Everyone <laughs> says that, though. So it's really... <laughs> oh, so I'm not alone. I, the, the it's DG, been really hard to get guests. Uh, <laughs> I think I did the double on Leeds last year. I mean, it goes yeah. on after both Leeds games last year. So yeah, this is a, that... a big departure. That was the big joke with Teddy Ely earlier in the year was he's always on after bad losses, and we actually <laughs> got him on after a win. But I, I tell you what, if the C, if the podcast had been recorded after last Tuesday, it would have been miserable. Uh, you know, blowing a two-gold lead to Ipswich Town, just looking awful, ended up, you know, getting eliminated from the League Cup because of it. Oh, Wolf. Wolves fans, not happy. Saturday comes. We don't have a chance. We certainly didn't think so. And then lo and behold, in typical Wolves fashion, we look awful and draw against Luton Town. We lose to Ipswich Town and then beat the number one team in the world, Manchester City, two to one. Guys, let's break this game down. Uh, It started off really interesting, Paul, with the formation itself. I was quite pleased to see that. I think just you had a feeling that something was was going to happen. He looked to be more solid, um, and I think a lot of us kind of felt that five at the back made a lot of sense. And to see that may may have reassured um, maybe some some in the team actually, and and gave confidence to a few like. Um, Kilman, for example, that got that protection around him, maybe maybe Dawson. And you could start to see that within that side, there were distinct people that were given very specific jobs. And as the game went on, that, that became really apparent. So putting that firm foundation in place, I think, put us on a, a really good footing to, uh, to, to, to give at least Man City a game. And Brian on the other side, our big-eared villain, Matthias Nunes. Um, he started, didn't last for very long because uh, mm-hmm. he's soft as Charmin, baby. Uh, Matthias Nunes, what, what did you think of the reaction, getting booed every time he touched the ball? Really seemed to fire up the crowd. I know. I was I was curious whether he whether that was would fire him up or fire up the fans and fire up Wolves more. And it definitely was the latter. He did not look sharp. It looked like he wilted. And it just I honest I was listening to I think it was the fan cast afterwards. And I think it gave us an extra bite. The whole the crowds were on it. Where if, if they hadn't started and we had a flat first 10 minutes, that whole crowd would have completely deflated and it would have would have been a bad scene but i think it gave them something to really focus on and that kept the crowd really fired up in the early parts of the game which honestly i think helped 
I think it may help the guys to stay confident and say, hey, we can get this. We got it. And I was a little worried early on, Paul, because Matthias actually had a chance to go for goal. He ended up passing it and uh, a little bit off target. But game could have changed severely if he gets that goal in, right? I think it's just that whole perfect storm of negativity that – the the feeling going into that game that everything was going against us and wouldn't it have been our luck that he gets one chance and maybe a shot from out the box and it gets a lucky deflection and trickles in and that would have been typical and just just as a way you you might have expected this game to to go so to have them really do it do a number on him and I think Brian's totally right that um, the crowd did an awesome job and I hope both of the the team and the crowd feed off each other in terms of knowing what each can do in those type, types of situations because I saw plenty after the game that, that resembled similar atmospheres to some of the, the Nuno heydays. And that was what it was like at times when you weren't worried about a top four team coming to town because you knew that a Nuno side could give them a punch on the nose and send them away with their tail between the legs. And and that often happened. So to have that feeling back, even just on a smaller extent, maybe, but just to have it back and seeing what we can do if if everyone rallies and, and comes together. It was great, but seems we're on the subject to Nunes. It's a good time, actually, for a, a no stupid question that came in because it's Wolfrooney and Dan Wilkes on X, and he said that lots of commentators from the game were talking about the Molyneux crowd's reaction to Nunes as the pantomime villain. So he wants to know, is the pantomime villain known here as a term in the US, that's the first part of his question. I had to look it up. I had to look up pantomime villain. It makes sense. I mean, out here, it's just kind of he's a villain, not necessarily a pantomime villain. Um, so I wonder what fancy words for it, Paul. Yeah, Paul, what what <laughs> constitutes a villain from a pantomime villain? Yeah, like the, the pantomime elements kind of made up. That it's 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 not really a villain. Um, it, it's something that he's done in a specific way just to get the crowd animated and involved. Because a pantomime back in the UK, it's a theatrical production, but it's a very much back and forth between the actors and the audience. So the the cliche of the the pantomime villain. Um, on the stage is he would be behind the uh, the hero and the crowd would be going he's behind you and the hero would turn round and the pantomime villain would hide and the hero would look the other way and the pantomime villain would, would appear again so it's always that back and forth so it's that character that's purposely designed to be the agitator or be that 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 pain in the backside so um that's that's the design for it in in this context and just like the the exact reason like of Nunes coming on and Jack Grelish 
uh, Nunes coming off, Grealish coming on. He takes exactly the same role because because that's what that's what he does. He's he's an irritator. He gets under your skin. You want nothing better than than to get one over the bad guy. So that's where the the the, the villain and the, the pantomime element comes into it. I think Americans are just more mean spirited, I guess, and we don't have pantomime villains. We uh. We have assholes that we cheer get or that we like the, the the one there. The one there'd probably be like Scrooge, who was the villain, but ultimately turned out to be to be good. Or, All I can think is like LeBron. LeBron would probably be the best. Yeah, description. Out I feel here. like it's rare in American sports, but it still happens sometimes where you have like a rival um, player, even even if the team isn't a rival, just a player that you don't like maybe they always play well against your team and they sort of wind up the crowd and then the crowd winds them up and it sort of like goes back and forth like that it happens but it's not it's not as big a thing as it is in in uh in like british soccer yeah so i would guess like football wise american football wise probably like aaron Rodgers, terrell owens those seem like mm-hmm. guys that would that would fall into there guys that as I like to say, those people have punchable faces. Yeah. Very Manu accurate. Ginobili for the San Antonio Spurs, punchable face. <laughs> Matthias Nunes, punchable face. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll say, I think uh, Grealish is an irritator because he relishes it. He's a heel where Matthias Nunes is just irritating. I don't think he <laughs> relished the idea of being a heel he was just out there getting pelted, and I don't yeah. think he liked it the same way that Grealish yeah. does. Very much so. <laughs> then there was another part to that question, right, Paul? Yeah, he, he goes on. He, he asks, if we're the pantomime villain, who is your Wolves principal boy arch nemesis? Does that mean the good guy? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're the, they're the hero. I we- think it's got to be Joe Gomez in this case because they were constantly battling and even though I mean, it's so funny because it's like a lesson in that like sort of sports psychology of like when it's your guy you know it's it's fine so like there are plenty <laughs> of bad tackles that Joe Gomez made some of them on Mateus Nunes but you're like oh this guy's blameless like you know he's yeah. just out here fighting for the team <laughs> yeah it's guys like Dennis Rodman of the NBA you hate him unless he's on your team and I definitely mm-hmm. feel like Joe Gomez is going to get that reputation and not just not his antics. Like he doesn't have over the top antics, but Ooh, he's tough. And yeah, he had Matthias in his pocket. Um, the other one, Paul, you can talk about would be Pedro Neto who, my God, I am sorry. All the Neto slander <laughs> I had at the beginning of the year. Dear God. Uh, I look, that is old t- hot takes exposed right there, man. Um, He's been awesome. He's been awesome. And he did it again, Paul. And even though that went down as an own goal, um, I mean, just a phenomenal run. And he's he's blowing by everybody. It almost looks Adama-esque with how he's able to beat everybody, no matter which side he's on, the left or the right. Yeah, again, it was great that that particular move came down the, uh, the right-hand side again. So not his ultimately potentially favored side but if he can cause that much trouble and and give the opposition something to think about from from both sides of the pitch then 
it offers some tremendous versatility and a real headache for opposition coaches to think about moving forwards. But I, I'm I'm holding back ju- just slightly on this. We'll probably come on to it later. But the more I think about it now and the, the more I, I look back at Gary O'Neill's comments about how he, he, he set up for it and how they played for it, it was probably done with a distinct purpose to have him out on that side because he was up against Ake. And Ake, I love Ake as a player, but he's not a natural left back. So if he had the opportunity to to really put him to the test like he did, and um, he's certainly not the slowest, but to, to keep up with Pedro Neto at full tilt, you're going to have to be doing doing something special. And... Um, it was it was really poetry in motion that he put the afterburners on great control. As soon as he hit the box, you knew that something was going to happen. Either um, he had the opportunity, could have brought it in and, and shot like he did against Luton, or put the ball across and and potentially get an assist that way, like he did, and got the own goal. So just having that uh, Adama esque ability to to create when again you're looking around that team and it's it's still not the most creative and not the most creative in playing five at the back either so to have him in in the form that he's in is, is phenomenal and long may that continue brian do you think this five at the back is what we're going to go with from here on out because of the way neto's playing on the wing right now Absolutely. And I don't think it's just about Neto. Everybody looked more comfortable. Dawson looked more comfortable because he could stay back and control an area a little bit better. Kilman looked more comfortable going forward. Both the wingbacks, Samedo was able to go up the right a little bit farther. I think everybody looked like they just kind of knew their roles better. Uh, And everyone kind of had the coverage they needed to be able to kind of do their jobs better. So, yeah, I think the five at the back is what we'll be seeing for a while, honestly. And Danny, I know you've been a big Neto guy. You got your Neto kit. How exciting <laughs> is it to have this guy back? And how important is it to have him back? I mean, it literally cannot be understated, you know. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that we've been mostly kind of terrible for the first part of the season, <laughs> and if we didn't have him firing, we'd be a lot worse off. But um having him back to his best is so important also just in terms of uh, the the team sort of morale, you know, that there's someone out there who's like constantly putting in this work. It's been growing. I think it, you know, it started slow. We'd have to remember that he was mostly ineffective against Everton where we got our first three points um, until he put in a cross for, for Sasha to hit off his shoulder or whatever. <laughs> but um but it's been growing. And, you know, we've talked in the past about how he's better on the left because he just like can't seem to do what he wants to do on the right. And that's now changed. And I think to me, it has completely to do with fitness because before we'd see, he'd constantly check back and go onto his left foot and try to cross or try to center it to a midfielder or something. It's just like, wasn't working. It was too predictable, but this game we saw him able to do both. He, like there were a couple times where he checked back in and went, and cut inside and then for the uh for the goal and a couple other times he just ran straight down the line to the to the byline 
And that's the kind of stuff that you need from him when he's on the right, is you have to make it so that Nathan Ake doesn't know which way to to push him. Uh, and so having that versatility means that he actually can play on the right now, or in different circumstances where we need him to do something different, he can play on the left. Maybe a time when we have Sasha in, and it's easier for him to swing in crosses to him. But when we're just playing with pace, it, it really worked a treat to have him out on the right. Another spot for a no stupid question here because it's Nick Raytar on X again. And he says, what was Neto asking the crowd after the own goal? Because he didn't seem very excited. No, I, I know exactly what it was. We days earlier just got through blowing a two nil lead to a championship team. And it's what I was saying when everybody's celebrating online, I was going, (laughs) we don't need to over celebrate right now. Yeah, we can celebrate the goal, but this is nowhere near in the bag. That was what 14th minute, you know, he was just saying, okay, everybody relax. Like (laughs) we still have a ton of work to do. Uh, So I liked that actually. I thought that was really good. And, Old Neto, I think, would have acted like, uh, you know, he scored the biggest goal of his career, which, you know, played a big part in it. But I like this. More more leadership from Neto, please. I think there's a little bit of that. And I think there's also that the edge is taken off a goal when it is an own goal like that as well. Mm -hmm. That it's not all on. He did a great piece. He did a great move. And... I think sometimes it's like, oh, don't don't give me all the credit because ultimately someone else put it in the back of the net and it was the opponent that did it. You know, don't give me all, all the credit. I think there was an element of that as well. Or it just could have been after the previous week when he did those million celebrations again, Luton is just like, forget it, I'm not doing anything. So. <laughs> yeah, and that probably played a part in it too, right, Brian? Uh, I just not want to look awkward. I mean, I think we all thought, okay, we scored against Luton. Like, that should be the game. And it wasn't. Yeah. And he was probably the most frustrated out of everybody after that game. No, I think your call there is a really good one. I'm just like, hey, guys, we have a, we have a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we were saying, though, my first thought was, we don't talk about no hitters. Talk about no hitters. <laughs> don't jinx it, guys. Man, there was so much chatter going on, like, oh, we're going to do this and everything. And I was like, shut up. 15th minute. Oh, yeah. We we watched us go one up on Liverpool and absolutely descend for 45 minutes and then lose 3-1. So, yeah, I even after that first goal, I was like, I wish I was going to lose 4-1. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but they took a 1-0 lead into halftime. Uh, Matthias's Charmin ass got taken out. Uh, I loved it, Paul, how... You know, here Pep had said, hey, this is a guy who's one of the best midfielders in the world. And then he's taken out because they need some more creativity. Was he taken mm-hmm. out because they needed more, quote unquote, creativity? Or was he taken out because the crowd was too fired up and Matthias couldn't handle it? I think it was a distinct combination of the two because to to, to the point, it was it played into our hands better than it did. Uh, to to his performance that he had the crowd uh, on his back so much Um, but I think ultimately it did begin to look that it it was the right call and Oscar Bob came on he looked to be taking up a more advanced role that 
that five at the back or the three centre backs to begin with had a little difficulty in picking up and he started to see more of the ball. And I think it was him. Yeah, it was. He he was the one who got fouled in the lead up to the goal as well. So I think that had that had an impact and was probably um what they were looking to exploit with with him coming on. And Man City tied it up with that awesome free quick uh free kick from uh Julian Alvarez. Nothing he could really do with that, right, Brian? Or could Saw have done a better job? No, that was a worldie. <laughs> There's yeah, nothing I, you I do thought about it was that. tremendous. <laughs> I thought it was tremendous. Brian, be truthful. Yeah. How bad do you think Wolves are going to lose when Man City tied it up? Oh, like four one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I was not confident at all. Actually, I will I will fully admit I did not watch the game live because I was so down after <laughs> the the last two games that I spent the morning uh, buying a couch and then after we assembled said couch and I saw that things had gone well I decided to watch it. So plastic was, uh, fan, gotcha. <laughs> oh come on you're, you're saying you were confident walking in but no I, I i didn't know the full extent of how things had went but yeah i was uh even at, at that point it was i was like oh here we go liverpool all over again and then we stood up i got actually that was the thing i was the by far the most impressed about uh saturday's performance was when we conceded against liverpool heads down everything fell apart so fast all season when we concede or it looks like the game's not going in our favor, it falls apart quick. And this time we conceded and they galvanized. This was the first time we've seen that all season that they, they, they got punched in the face and they punched back. And that was so good to see. That was, that was old Nuno stuff. That was, Hey, we're never out of it. We can, we can take on these bigger clubs. It doesn't matter what the score is, we can go get at him again. So actually seeing them fight when things don't go their way was so good to see. Danny, what do you think kept their heads up this time as opposed to all the other games this year? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I I wonder if it's an element of, I mean, there's an element of, of good fortune, you know, in any win. Uh, and I, I do wonder if there's an element of like, um, the defensive game plan was clearly still working. You know, like we just talked about, there's not really anything you can do about that free kick. John Gomez shouldn't have conceded it. That was a bit silly. Um, but apart from that, there's not a lot you can do about it. But our overall game plan, which we now know is like, you know, very intentional. Gary O'Neill set us out in a certain way for Dawson to sort of manmark Holland for the most part. And Tony was sort of manmarking Bowden all that stuff is still working and frustrating them. And so from a viewer's perspective myself, you know, I sat there for the next 10 minutes dying inside thinking that we're going to concede <laughs> more, but, but slowly the belief grew even in me where it just seemed like, well, we're still doing the right things defensively so that they're not finding it easy. Whereas like the Liverpool collapse was much more like chaotic. Um, so like the, maybe it was that for the players, they saw that, the defensive plan was still working and maybe, maybe city finds a way because they have amazing players, but, but if they kept doing what they were doing, they'd at least have a chance. Paul, how good was it to see the players not drop their heads? Tremendously, just because 
after having such a shitty week with that Ipswich result, that could have been just uh, another dagger, you know, that uh, you do so well again, but boom, you, you let an equaliser in and, and there it goes. So just, I think a lot of what, what Danny said really uh, stands true, that it, it just seemed there was that little bit more solidity there, more of a, a solid game plan, more of a belief that if we can just execute on, on the basics, then uh, we're going to be okay. And, and, and I even think that executing on the basics, meaning if we'd have got a point, that would have been a great result. And I think they would have taken that. So um, if that would have continued and would would come out there without a loss, I think probably O'Neill would have took it, the team would have took it and and took some momentum from that as well. So uh, to, to take it one step further and get the winner was, was pretty awesome. How awesome was it, Paul, that the guy who scored the winning goal was the Korean guy after Pep had disrespected him? Again, that's the that that's such a so unwalls like thing to happen. That's the the opposite, you know. If if O'Neill had said that about the opposition player, that's the oh. opponent that that would have scored against us. You know, it seems like it's always the way that it it happens to us. So. I, I just think he's he's brilliant, and he's he's a player that's just getting at the moment. He's he's in the right place at the right time, and the the, the career arc that he's on now, that the what what we've seen him on, is he, phenomenal. And he's one of the first names on the team sheet again. It, it's another he's another playing for another manager that when fit, he he's he's. He's, he's a starter. So they they see something in Wang and it's not just the goals that he offers, but it's the work rate as well. And that's standing true. So again, it's tricky not to get too excited about it just because you don't know if those elastic band hamstrings are going to snap again. So <laughs> it's just like, you know, just, Cross your fingers, cross your toes, cross anything else that can be crossed on your body to, to, to keep him fit and, and build on this form because what he's, he's got more goals than he did last season already. If he carries on this form, he could be looking at 10 to 12 goals for the season. That's just like the type of player that you want and suddenly turns that, what was it, £12 million outlay just looks like a snip if he carries on uh, in this vein of form. Um, and, and at the same time, it's it's a good, it, it's a nice success story. He's a good, he's a good success story. It's good for the the fan base. It's good for the global audience. You know that he, he's a nice guy. This, there was stuff after the match that he sticks around, sees the Korean fans, doesn't leave until everyone's had an autograph or a photo. All of this good stuff. It's the exact type of player that you want in a Wolves kit. So. Long may continue. You know, it may not be uh, typical Wolves uh, to have that kind of hero, but but what is typical Wolves is uh, that, of course, the social media team had a plan. And uh, <laughs> I saw I saw uh, Josh Peach, the video producer at Wolves, uh, you know, he reposted his own handiwork, that, that TikTok that they did afterwards. Oh, just which is kiss. amazing, of course. 
Uh, but, you know, he he posted it with the comment saying, I was hoping for a he chan goal. That's exactly the kind of thing that would happen, <laughs> you know, is that like, if if the social media team has a plan to play a certain angle, that thing is going to happen. It's just like with the forest thing last year with the playtime is over thing. Like, yeah. it, as soon as that happened, it was like written in the stars that he yeah. chan was going to score at least once. <laughs> it's like the Craig Dawson goal in his debut. Um, yeah. And Jao mm. Gomez, like, in fact, Danny, we were having a back and forth on Twitter as far as what was the best um, uh, social media player reveal. And the fact that there are so many choices just really speaks to the brilliance of that social media team. Like they are, they're the best in the business. And I don't feel like we're being homers saying that like they're, they're brilliant. They really are. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Paul, we need to work on getting one of those guys on the show. <laughs> that'd be awesome josh would do it i think he would yeah yeah i mean we're we're fans of the work um brian not to be left out on the lead up to that goal was cunha's really fancy side foot pass back to huang after the first shot was deflected i mean mm. it seems like he's not scoring goals but he's making an impact oh yeah Absolutely. Yeah. When I saw that ball come back to him and it just the awareness because, he, you know, he need, he needs to score too. Like he really, he's begging for a goal. But the fact that he said, no, there's my teammate. It was able to pick him out with so much awareness to get that there was, oh, it's fantastic. I was actually thinking about this earlier um, with that, with the own goal. Mm-hmm. And that uh, Cunha was coming in on it. If the ball had gone mm-hmm. over and he had scored that as the first goal, but obviously Ruben Diaz would not have allowed the old goal. I'm really curious in the sliding doors of how that would have changed the rest of the game because Diaz was crap. And I think he was trying to come up for most, most of the game, trying to overcome that own goal. And I was really curious kind of how, how that would have changed anything. This is a so- great spot for a, uh... A no stupid question actually that was emailed in to hello at whole lot of wolves.com by Drew Breyer because he wrote, he said, I love Cunha. I bought his jersey for my son. I love his speed, his tenacity, and his ability to dribble, but he's not a goal scorer. If we ever get one, what do you think happens to Cunha? Playing more as a central attacking midfielder, or we just keep on looking for goals from Wang and Neto? Do you think Gary O'Neill will ever pay Cunha with Fabio or uh, Kalidic, who can't seem to get any run of games these days for a reason? So, is that front three, uh, Wang, Cunha, Neto, the way forward? Yeah, I think that's interesting because when Cunha has started with Fabio, it hasn't really worked, and even though Cunha seems like somebody that has the skills to be a number 10, for some reason, when he's in that spot or in between the 9 and 10, he just, it, it doesn't seem to fit. So, I don't know. I mean, you have to ride the wave as long as it's going, right, Brian, with those front three? Yeah, I agree, because you know, that's the thing we're all wanting to see. I would love to see like a four, two, three, one with him at the 10 and Sasa up top. Yeah. But I'm with you though. I don't know why it has really work. Cause like you'd see all the pieces should fit. He picks up the ball deep. He likes to carry it in. He can pick a pass, mm-hmm. but yeah, maybe I, I don't, I don't really know why it hasn't really like clicked on there. My guess is if it, if 
if the partnership started working and they did click, it would click really well. Like you said, like yeah. the attributes are all there. This is like, this is this is one of those like FIFA partnerships. When it works, it's gonna work beautifully, but it hasn't clicked yet. Um, yeah, maybe someday. And then, but like I, I, I do stand behind though. Right now, it'd be hard to get a front four mm-hmm. because we're not we're not gonna be a team that's gonna win four three. <laughs> so I think we need to work more on two ones than four threes. I think the the one thing about the the forward three of uh, of Wang Kunya and Neto is work rate, and I think mm-hmm. we put out there either today or yesterday was Kunya's heat map and the actual over, yeah, yeah oh, all yeah. over the place. Even as that that central striker that you know the the force time whatever he's playing, he, he's everywhere. So if, if you get in that from him. Um, even if he's not got the output in terms of goals, if he's impacting the game, if he's getting uh, assists, if he might not get an end on the end of it, but if he's contributing that way, then I, I think we can we can see it for for a good while if the the goals are coming from elsewhere. And I think we'll. It was I can't remember if it was Hobbs who said it or Lopetegui, but pretty much they they mentioned right the outset of him signing that they that he was looked at as a number nine so do we have to start changing our perception now of what a number nine is in this particular formation and and could he be that like I, I hope he is because I've got that feeling that he's a great player to to put all that hard work in it might not come off with goals but if he went on one of those crazy runs and slotted one in everyone would be creaming themselves and then it could happen again and he could go on a, a run like that and it could just be highlight reel after highlight reel very much like the Diogo Jota days of you've got this talent on your hands and just now that he's done it once he keeps on doing it and and look at look at the talent that we've got on our hands so it, it could really be exciting if it if it clicks for all, all three of those guys at the same time well, and I think a big part of it here is going to be the more Neto keeps this up, he's going to start drawing more double teams. He's going to start widening in the defense, and that's mm-hmm. going to leave more space for Cunha in the box to do something special. I mean, that was when Adama and Raul were really going was because you had to focus so much on Adama on the outside. It opened up a lot more space for Raul. Now, Raul was also um spectacular um with his head um but in his his aerial game but i think cunha i think the goals are going to come as long as neto keeps up this form but you know who's number nine who didn't score a lot of goals but made a lot of things happen bobby Firmino. if you get the right partnership around it can make the whole thing click yeah but granted those are three world 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 class players up there but yeah, but you don't always need the number nine to score goals as long as goals are being scored. Yeah, yeah. I don't care who they're being scored by. As long as yeah. I don't have to keep rubbing myself with salted lemons. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, on a scale of one to ten, uh, how puckered was your ass, Paul, during the last uh, you know, 20 minutes of that game? Um, again, like very weirdly, it wasn't. And he, even after taking you're a liar. That, nah, taking <laughs> taking that lead back, I think it was just the 
the relaxation that e even if we end up with a point, I'm still taking it and I'd still have some relief from that. And if it was two all and and we'd shown that we'd we'd put we'd put a good showing together, we hadn't let our heads drop. I, I was worried that we may have that keep could see that late equaliser and let all the hard work go. But I wasn't nervous about it just because it was we were up against Man City now. If that was an Everton at home or a Brentford or someone like that, probably roles reverse. But Saturday, I wouldn't say it was a, a good feeling. I knew we were going to hold it out. I just had some contentment that um, e even a point would have been pretty positive. Well, I was nervous. I wouldn't have been able to squeeze out a fart if I wanted to, Brian. But yeah, I, I know cut, cut mean, that, Paul. cut that for the sound bite there, Danny. <laughs> I think it goes on the intro. <laughs> um, but I know what you mean, Paul, because it was like they just never, they didn't look like themselves the whole game. Like you just, you kind of figured at some point they would just pull out a, you know, pull out a third gear and just go to the races, and they just never looked comfortable. So even. I'm not going to say I felt comfortable on the 75th minute, the 85th minute, but it was never, oh my God, this is going to go so terribly. All oh, my whole day is going to get ruined here. It's. But you already knew the result when you were watching. I the never game, said Brian. I knew the result. I knew it was not four nil when I turned it on. <laughs> but it, but even to that point, he 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 did the basics and had some opportunities. But even Saar wasn't pulling out worldly after worldly or anything like that. It was it was competent saves like that one he took from distance uh, from Carl Walker, like good good save. He, he pushed one away that was. A good opportunity. I can't remember who who that was off. Um, we had the one from Dawson clearing off the line, but it it wasn't like the bat line was really being peppered and Saar was being called into to action all the time. So there was some solidity about them, which was good. You want to know the best way to know how solid the defense was that game. Did you hear Tony Gomez's name mentioned once? How about Phil Foden? What, maybe once? Even Holland. I didn't I didn't hear Kilman's name. Dawson, the only time you heard his name really was when he cleared off the line. Like normally those guys have been the story as far as like, what are you doing? I, you wouldn't have known Tony and Foden were on the field because they were never mentioned. And that's good. That that says right there that Toady did his job and he's got to start from here on out. Even if it's four, he's got to start. So, so Paul's a liar is what we found out because he said he wasn't. <laughs> I don't believe you at all. <laughs> uh, so there were a lot of choices. Who is the man of the match? We got Neto. We got Huang. We got Toady who I just brought up. Even Samato, perhaps Paul. Uh, I'm going for Dawson. Dawson, I'm going for that opportunity. I think right on six minutes when it came flashing across the box and he got in front of Haaland and uh, and got in front of him, knocked it away from the corner. So you had that, which was probably a certain goal. You had the clearance off the line. That's your three points right there. So that's where the man of the match comes from. Um, and just to have someone like Erling Haaland who... 
at like physically abused us last season just to absolutely pocket him for 90 minutes you, you just got to give him give it him for that in in my uh humble opinion brian who was your man of the match honestly i'd have to agree because i mean he's literally one of the best players in the world and as you mentioned they barely talked about the only time they talked about holland was to talk about how they aren't talking about holland and that was 100 up to craig dawson and craig dawson has is not been that good this year so yeah to be able to pull that out to go from where he was to where that was was exceptional and i think he deserves praise for that danny yeah, might have to make it a clean sweep. Uh, wow! I just I, if you haven't if you haven't watched uh, match of the day uh, from Saturday, do yourself a favor because Michael Richards waxes lyrical on on Craig Dawson, who he knows personally. Um, so there's a part of a reason, but I mean, it, it's amazing this stuff. If you go back and watch the highlights, it's really fun to watch this kind of like very old school style of defending. There's one in particular that I love. I want to bring up while we're talking about this, uh, which is that there's like a pass out to the right. It's not going to Holland. It's going to like someone who could then pass to him, whether it's Foden or or maybe Walker out on the out on the right. And it's clear that the ball is not going to really get there. Like we're going to intercept it or something. The, the play is being broken up, and even though the play is like clearly dead, there's like a collision between Dawson and Holland, and Holland ends up down on his knee. And it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, you're never going to call that as a foul because there's not really like a an opportunity that Dawson made him miss because the play is already dead, but he's just letting him know he's there. And I mean, it's funny. We It's hard to like say that it was so good because like we said, we, that people weren't talking about him, but he like Holland put up his like third lowest XG <laughs> in That's that crazy. game. Yeah. And and look, Craig Dawson is going to be limited in many other ways. If we want to play with a higher line, if if people are running off the back, he's going to be very limited and he's going to be exposed. But he was used perfectly in that game, and he played his role perfectly, and he kept the uh, you know future blonde or winner, you know future golden boot winner, quiet all day. So, you know who my man of the match is, guys. It is the twelfth man. And that is no. the Molyneux crowd. I really think they made a difference this game. They got in Nunez's head early because he obviously was here and everything. I mean, it, it's pretty easy. He's got good, you know, good receptors. Um, <laughs> but then it was like they really, I think, the crowd didn't turn on him when Man City uh, scored as well. The crowd kept up the energy, and I think that helps the players keep up the energy. And that makes a difference, especially when you've got younger guys out there, which we have a lot of those now. They're going to feed more on the positive energy. Um, and I think I think the crowd made an unbelievable difference. And I, I read somewhere like it sounded like the Molyneux day, or the Nuno days. And absolutely, Brian, you brought it up. Is that was that was a Nuno crowd right there, and that's what we needed, which was. You know, I think a lot of us went in, especially after losing to Ipswich, going, man, we're going to get our butts beat. But you couldn't tell that from the crowd from the very beginning. They were in it. They were in it the whole time. So, bravo, Wolverhampton. Bravo. 
Um, Paul, after that win, well, looking at what happened Tuesday and then looking at that win, how important was that for Paul, uh, for Gary O'Neill? It, it it's an interesting one that I, I really um I really hope that it's it all the positive signs were there and everything, but there's still a part of me that it's still early days, that there's a lot of unknowns, he's still inexperienced. There's a part of me asking myself, well, is it some way easier to set up like you did against Man City? and pull out a result like that because even the shittiest team in the whole league will still get that one result a season or or two results a season and, and it'll be a shock i'm i'm probably overly negative here but i really need to see it proven in those tricky games like what will be a sheffield united away or a, a Brentford at home. So that will be the real measure for me because I'll come back to it when he said, oh, we, we knew how Man City were going to play and set up. That's great. We, he knew they didn't have Rodri to to, to plan for, which is, he could he could effectively work around that. He maybe had Neto playing where he needed to do. He was able to have Toti do a job specifically on Foden and Dawson the same on Haaland. Is he going to have that opportunity every week to be that specific against the opponent? So that's the, that's the thing for me. Um, I hope it, it it's positive. I'm I'm not knocking it in, in any way, and I loved. I really felt proud for him and pleased for him after the game and his immediate post match interview. And he was asked, "Well, is it your best win?" of your career and he was like yeah pretty much I'll beat Liverpool uh, for Bournemouth but Manchester City champions of Europe you know best to best team in the world it, it probably is so that was great to hear and please for him and great to see him smile and have some personality to, to come out as well so I think as far as that goes I'm I'm hoping it's a step in the right direction and something that can can be built upon, and actually I think it's going to be another test for him on Sunday to to see if that this momentum can be carried forward. Yeah, we have some uh, O'Neill no stupid questions, Paul. Yeah, uh, Todd Duet. This is another potential tomato tomato one for me anyway because he says since good old Gary got his tactics right and served a lot of us with a slice of humble pie myself included what other types of pie would you eat to celebrate a victory so uh, my potato potato is the favorite of mine being is it pecan or pecan it's pecan well pecan See, see, oh. just between us. So that that's that's my go to. However, however you label it, that's that's what I, I'd eat that celebrating a draw. Never mind a victory. I think I have to eat a lemon pie, right, guys? Yeah, right. Sprinkle <laughs> some salt on it first. Sprinkle some salt. I don't have to rub this on my body though, so that's good. <laughs> 
Yeah, I do love a I do love a pecan pie, pecan pie, whatever. Pecan. Uh, I'll I'll go out of <laughs> I'll I'll pick something more out of left field because uh, victory is so sweet. I'll I'll say a shoe fly pie. Uh, if you've never had that, it's kind of a Pennsylvania Amish country thing. Shoe fly pie is basically just a pie full of sugar. It's like made of like brown sugar and molasses and a bunch of other things and it's just like basically every different form of sugar baked into a pie and it is better than it sounds and go figure the amish yeah the amish would come up with the most boring name for a pie that makes sense (laughs) shoe fly there was um also an extension uh on the topic here with with o'neill because it's uh trevor mcdavid on x as a no stupid question, he says, would you swap O'Neill for the now recently fired, heavily linked prior to Lopetegui, Michael Beal? And I think this really dovetails well into what's pretty, uh, the latest coming out is is an interview featuring um, on the BBC, I think, and then it will be on the Wolves podcast channels with sporting director Matt Hobbs. And Danny, you've had a listen. Do you want to delve into a little of the topics covered on this interview with uh, Matt Hobbs? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got my notes here, but they're not all composed, so forgive me if it's a bit rambling. I'll just start by answering the the, the question and say no. I would not swap O'Neill for for McBeal. Uh, you know, I don't have any particular knowledge of of Beal. Uh, you know, beyond just the news reports that came out when he was linked with us. But I think that the thing that comes out with this Matt Hobbs interview is something they really wanted is like a young, very hungry coach. I think what goes along with that is really wanting to be here. And even if I'm sure things could have been different, and I'm sure McBeal would have been very happy to be coaching a Premier League team and whatever, he'd be happy to be here. I just think like that, something that Matt Hobbs is trying to get at is like that relationship with the fans. He wants the the players and the coach and the fans to all sort of be on the same page of where we are pushing from the same place. I think if the fans didn't believe that McBeal was, was really here with the best intentions, like he's just like an opportunist, then I think it, it wouldn't work. Um, So anyway, um, to this interview, yeah, I had a little bit of time to listen to it after the fact. Um, And clearly Hobbs also did, like Paul said, the, the, Wolves Weekly or whatever. And I, I imagine he says much of the same stuff in that. Um, but basically, there's kind of a theme throughout it that, um, you know, he he clearly really admires Lopetegui, likes him a lot, but that um, Lopetegui sort of similarly to Nunes, you know, had this vibe. Uh, you know, this is, this is my read on it, but, you know, that they, Lopetegui and Nunes sort of took a step down from a situation where they could be in the champions league potentially um and maybe as a consequence weren't quite as hungry as they could have been because they felt like they were kind of doing wolves a favor and so i mean he wasn't calling anybody out like that but he talks about in terms of you know gary o'neill being the right guy because he's he's hungry he's young and hungry he's probably you know a bit unfair to be fired by Bournemouth after the job he did and matt hobbs is really impressed with uh with Gary O'Neill's presentation of them when they were searching. Um, but, you know, it aligned with what was supposed to be a strategy that it seems like they would implement next year, which would be this sort of like getting in these 
younger, hungrier players, you know, the the Enzo Gonzalez's and, and obviously Jean Gomez fits in that too, even though he was an earlier signing. But these people who are like, you know, making their first move to England, they're really hungry to succeed. And same thing with Gary O'Neill. You know, he's very young in his managerial career. He may have good ideas, but he hasn't tested them all out yet. Um, but he's got the same kind of desire that the that the uh, that the players would have. Whereas, like, does Lopetegui really have the same desires as like a Zhao Gomez? You know, and it's not about like lowering lowering the club's sights. Like, you know, I'm sure Zhao Gomez would love to be in the Champions League, but but I think that for a player like him he'd be excited that we moved up a few places that if we finished eighth, that would be a huge, um, a huge accomplishment given our current situation. And that Gary O'Neill would feel the same way. Whereas like Lopetegui's vibe at the end of his reign was, you know, that he really wanted to be pushing for Europe and whether you agree with Boston or not on this. And I think reasonable people can disagree about it, but you know, Lopetegui felt like, well, I want to be back so that we can push for Europe. And the response, whether it was Hobbs or, or Jeff Shee, was that we can't do that. Like, that's an unrealistic. We cannot spend the amount of money that would be required to do that. And maybe, I, you know, I know some people feel that that's like, you know, uh, dereliction on Bosun's part that, like, we have this world class manager. We need to put the money in to get there. But but perhaps they're right that, you know it is very difficult to spend that kind of money and to get up there, even with a Julian Lopetegui. Um, the other thing is that, that came out through this, I think was definitely that he at least presents that he has a very good relationship with the players. The players really like him, Matt Hobbs. I mean, uh, and they come and talk to him. And so he really wants them to all be aligned. And they, they seem to have like a lot of buy-in to what Gary's doing. Um, you know, and that, uh, he thinks that there's really something special with, with Gary O'Neill and hopefully he, you know, keeps developing throughout the season. Uh, and then he believes that if they do all those things that are right, you know, set, putting all the right people in place and whatnot, that the, the league position uh, and the results will take care of themselves. Now, obviously that's where he's sort of sticking his neck out. I mean, hopefully it does. Um, obviously it could go, it could all go terribly wrong. And he admits that, that like there, every, every decision is a risk. But uh, but that he feels that it's better that all the parts of the club are sort of aligning with this whole young and hungry mentality. Um, and the last thing in the interview is he was just asked about like the how he's been more open with his communication with the fans, which I think a lot of us have really appreciated. Mm-hmm. You know that he comes out with these really well worded, uh, really well written write ups, uh, whether it's on a player or or whatever decision, like when they brought in Gary O'Neill. Um, and he just feels like it's worth it to just be honest because maybe he perceives that like when there's a lack of communication, people just make up their own narratives and then people are mad at Fosin for something or, or Wolves for something that they didn't even do, like a decision they didn't even make. But it's just all kind of been made up in the fans' minds where at least if if he's honest and, and it goes wrong, people can be mad at the actual strategy that they're trying to execute <laughs> rather than just some made up narrative. Uh, it's a really good interview. Um, it's on BBC Five Live. You can still find it on online, and uh, definitely recommend. You know what I think Gary O'Neill's biggest flaw is, and why it's been a little harder to get behind him, is he's not the most charismatic guy. Uh, Lopetegui 
Nuno, even Laws to an extent, charismatic, especially on the pitch. O'Neal's just kind of a quiet guy, you know, doesn't get too excited either way. Um, and I think sometimes fans may have a harder time relating to that as far as you look at guys like Pep, like Klopp, very charismatic, very emotional managers that I think um, fans like. They like to see somebody with their same type of passion. And that's not bad on O'Neal. That's just who he is. But I think that may be why he's, if in to a lot of fans, had a short leash. I think it's when he's in a situation where he gets to speak and, and, he, and then there's a setting where he's got a level of comfort, then he generally comes across quite well when he gets to talk about coaching and philosophy and the, the way he sees the game. I think the feature over the weekend was shown back in the UK, part of Football Focus, which is a Saturday morning programme. It's like talked about his, his family a little bit and how he brings coaching home and he, he doesn't mean to. I think when he gets those opportunities to, to, to talk more personally and inject that passion, he comes across well and and people are warm to that. I think what we get a little caught up in is that 90% of the time we see him in a two-way, sound-bitten-driven communication portal of a press conference. And he's still probably got that player mentality about him that he doesn't want to veer too much off script because this is what I want to speak about. I'm going to come in. This is what I'm going to say and I'm going to get out. He doesn't have that that personality to over-elaborate or expand upon stuff because it's not the setting. So in those aspects, I could kind of give him the leeway. I think if they worked on a nice bit of PR spin, they could really turn it around and make him into more of a genuine kind of players, player, coach, fans, player, coach, really uh, an X's and O's type of guy that a lot of people could, could buy into rather than being that always out there, very overt personality that he's never going to be how much we, some people may, may want him to be. We need a couple of gifable moments, uh, Brian. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you're definitely right, Paul, that he doesn't have that um, the kind of larger-than-life personality once you can feel like you can just feel someone walk into a room like Nuno does or like Klopp does or, you know, those bigger personalities. But, yeah, I mean, I think, Danny, you kind of put in there that one of those things where if a good good process can breed good results, and if the good processes are there and the outcomes come out, people like him because the good process is what people want to see. I mean, ultimately, when I started following this this club, it felt like it had it was well organized, well run. That there was good processes, what makes you feel like the lows will won't be as low because they'll always have a plan. Might have been wrong about that, but. <laughs> It, um, but it makes it feel like at least now it feels like things are if everyone's rowing in the right in the same direction that there is a plan that oh if th- something doesn't go right the the idea was right just something out of our control went wrong or 
um, that we can still work around it. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I think hopefully people give them some time and they'll go to appreciate it. But yeah, I think it, it'll hopefully be something that fans will grow on. But yeah, I, I can understand why people are not quite as over the moon for him quite yet. And I, I think he did have the plan that he stuck to against Man City. But I also think then you go back to earlier in the week and he did not have a plan when we blew that lead to Ip- Ipswich. Like there was mm-hmm. there was no plan to try and get that game back. It was more of a shell shock. But you know what? Hey, maybe that was a turning point. Maybe that was a turning point as far as, okay, maybe we got to do stuff differently. And I felt like uh, the substitutions were a lot better. Um mm-hmm on Saturday, it's just, you know, you can't play scared. That's a big part of it too. Well, guys, it's Midlands Derby time, the first of the season. Wolves versus Aston Villa, 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central, Paul. We have a preview with another Paul, our good friend Paul Maddie from the Space City Lions in Houston. How's it going, Mr. Matty? It's going really well, actually. I mean, it's like, um, well, I mean, it's not bad being a Villa fan at the moment, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially after you guys just stomped on Brighton 6-1. Um, you've gotten some good results early. Are they kind of exceeding your expectations, especially when it comes to Ollie Watkins? Um, no, no, well, uh, well, no, 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 really. <laughs> um, so it's weird. We seem to be good and bits and bad in bits i mean it's like we, we when we suddenly we get good we get really good and it's just like like you, what you saw against brighton and then like you know liverpool and newcastle you just saw and then just two you know weird losses you know like losing to everton we look like we look like we'd never played football before so it's kind of i don't know we, we i feel like we're a jekyll and hyde team How's the European adventure treated you so far, Paul? And do you think that's going to impact on the weekend? Seems that you'll be playing on Thursday this week. So, <laughs> and I'm like, I know I've predicted a whole bunch of like happy stuff for Villa when on your like, <laughs> and like Villa always lose. I feel like I'm your good luck charm, and I, you know, but but the way Emery seems to have played it. And it'll be interesting if he sticks to it. But he seems to be concentrating concentrating on the league, you know. So he's sort of, we got knocked out of Europe, but then we come back and beat Brighton 6-1. I mean, he is, we beat Chelsea 1-0. I mean, it, it seems like he's, I'm, I'm guessing he's going to rotate again in the European Cup. I mean, he's... He just seems like determined to do it that way, and so I think he'll come strong against Wolves. I, I think you're going to go up against six-one Brighton. I'm afraid, you know. But like McGinn's, McGinn's a hit and miss player, you know. I mean, which McGinn turns up, you know. 
but 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 that's what I'd guess. I I guess he's going to go the same team, you know, for the because he seems like he's focused on the Premier League, in my opinion. Sorry. So you mentioned that uh, you've been kind of a lucky charm uh, for us coming on the podcast. (laughs) I know every time, like last time. So like, here's the thing, right? Like the last game when I came on, I mean, you guys got that early goal, that early heady goal, and that's like. That's where Wolves can really take advantage of um, Villa, you know, big physical in the air. And I really like the fact um, Gary O'Neill seems, he seems like a great guy. I'm glad, I mean, he seems top-notch, basically, so. So do you think this is going to be you guys' toughest test since you've now given us good juju by coming on the show? (laughs) I could I could see it going either way. I mean, really. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, what well, your win against Man City was just so impressive. I mean, you know, I mean, it was kind of cool, you know. So, I, I, I would take a I would take a score draw. I'll be honest. I mean, like you know, I mean, you know, away at Wolves and coming after Europe. Yeah, I'd take, I would take a draw. I mean, um, I mean, I, I, I'm impressed with what you guys are doing. Alrighty, that was Paul Matty uh, once again on for Aston Villa. Always good to have him, Paul, especially since he gives us good luck. <laughs> That's right. Maybe we do, we don't need to to do the lemon and the the salt. We can just rub Paul Matty's belly or something. I mean, look, I'm just gonna say we've been scoring goals really well ever since you know I did a couple salt baths. So I don't like to take all the credit, but you do have to give me some credit. I think. Crickets. The crickets are so loud. Um, or was it your you're hating on Pedro Neto? You know, sorry. maybe need to pick maybe need to pick another target and they'll prove you wrong. You know, if you start hating on Fabio, so I mean you've already been doing that, but <laughs> <laughs> so so Stu from the fan cast actually brought that up because uh he's like, Man, you call out Justin Fields for the Chicago Bears, he throws four touchdowns, and I was like well, I did call out Neto a few weeks ago, so, you know, I can't just call out somebody, just call them out. I, I really got to be particular about it. And it You got to believe it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it may be Kilman next. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how the next couple games go. Um, but we got this one on Sunday. Um, Paul, five at the back again? Is that what it's going to be? I think it's got to be. And... Um mainly because it, it's going to be a tough game. And I think the the formation and, and the setup uh, is probably ideal for the opponent and the environment that they're going to be coming into, the way they set up as well. And I just think where previously, sometimes when we'd, we'd have the the three four three or the 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 um the five two three however you want to dress it up there was always that opportunity of being overran in the midfield if it was Neves and Moutinho 
now you've just got that sense that if it's Lamina and Gomez, they're going to be like a couple of just pit bulls in there and going after everything and, and ball chasing and, and, and harrying in people and really chasing it down. So I think for that in the middle of the park for a derby will, will serve us pretty well. So if you've got that, the solidity at the back, because they've certainly got some informed players adding to the fact that you can do all of that and still have some uh, attacking output with the likes of Neto, Cunha and Wang. If it ain't broke, if it can beat Man City, then if it doesn't need fixing. Brian, assuming everybody's healthy, same starting 11? I think you got to. I mean, no one put a, no one put a foot wrong. Everyone did such a good job. As I said, they have... Uh, Astonville's got some potent attack. Um, so... I think, yeah, to a more point, I think you'll kind of need that solidity back there. And I mean, honestly, who, who would, who would you replace? I mean, the only person I could think of that's worthy of trying to get a slot in would be Bubakar, but I don't think it's worth taking out Lamina or Gomez or anybody else to do it right now. Well, I think Bubakar is proving that he's way better as a sub than as a starter anyways, which is good. You need, you need guys like that. Um, at least it's uh, at least it's one triore that can be a genuine impact sub. <laughs> you watch your mouth, Paul LePage. Yes. You watch your mouth. <laughs> there will be no we... slander of Adama on this show. <laughs> when we see him in March, we'll tell him that you said that. Paul. Yeah. Don't yeah. E- even though even though I'm 4,000 miles away, I'd still be scared. So. Yeah, you, you should be. You should He'd be, be over here like that. He'd be in like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I am glad we don't have to worry about any more Bentley over Saw talk. Not only did Saw get the contract, mm-hmm. but Bentley looked positively god-awful against Ipswich. So that should be the end of that conversation. So, yeah. I'm with you guys. There's there's nobody I would make a change with right now. I feel like that was, I think, too, with that 11, that was our best 11. Like, in, especially in form right now. You could say, all right, well, you know, Fabio's got the talent, maybe a little more talent. And what are we going to do with Bellegarde once, so mm. Bellegarde, once he comes back? I don't know. Um, isn't it funny, Pat, Paul, how... Sometimes these suspensions turn out working for us in weird ways. Like when Neves got suspended last year. Yeah. The, the, there's an element, some stuff. element of that for sure. And I think even when Bellagardi comes back, there's had been talk of him previously about having the versatility and who's to say that he can't come back into this team and pick up a wider advanced role more forward up the pitch, which would give the opportunity to either Wang or Neto to have a break if they need it, or just to solidify one side of the pitch a a little stronger, especially if you've got Neto's flexibility that he can go from one side or the other to offer offer a threat on either side and, and bring Wang off the bench to be a threat. So I, I think that bodes well as well, very much so. So let's hear some predictions, uh, guys. Last week, uh, we got no points. None of us. We all stunk. No points on any of the games. So we've already uh, got 
uh, our great producer Alex Patakis's prediction. He predicts a 2-2 draw. Danny, what say you? 2-2 sounds uh, pretty appealing, to be honest. I mean, we always we always seem to do well against Villa. I don't know what that is. Um, it is nice to be someone else's bogey team for once. Um, so, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling cautiously optimistic. I think three at the back is the way to go. I think I think we can hopefully stifle them. I mean, we saw just the way that um, if you do play sort of a high line and play out of the back, you can get punished by Villa the way that they did against Brighton. So I think if we if we do a similar game plan, it's not going to be exactly the same because Dawson's not going to be man marking someone like he did with Holland. But you know, I think I think I can feel somewhat optimistic about this one. I'd like to believe that we get another two one. I'll say. You don't think he'll be man-marking Ollie Watkins? Ollie Watkins moves around too much. I think that's the difference. Mm. You know, Holland pretty much stays in the box, and we are so camped out back there, but I think we'll we'll be pushing up a bit more. So you don't want Dawson having to run all over the field trying to cover Ollie Watkins. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Brian, what's your prediction? Ooh, it's tough, this one. Okay, because I'm with you. Uh, there's definitely some guys on Villa that make me nervous, like Diaby and his speed make me really nervous. Um, John McGinn works so hard, and but he is really inconsistent. Um, and you know, all, like this, like it's gonna be riding pretty high on confidence. But um, after beating up a Brighton six-one, if I were if I were a Villa fan, I would be nervous about the come down off that and. That it, you you want to think that oh yeah we're gonna go and just bowl everybody now because we got this huge win but it doesn't usually work that way so I think it'll be tight I think it'll be physical especially because their midfield's tough Man City's midfield last week was not physically strong um, and our guys are strong and their guys are strong and it's gonna be a battle and I think it's gonna be close so I'm probably gonna put in a one one draw. Paul? I've got a little pessimism just that I it, and it never you? works yeah it, ne- it never works the way that I want because the opposite I think well we 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 drew we we drew we drew a result against that type of opponent I just think that the villa are due a result against us at Molyneux but I'm just hoping that um we'll feed off Saturday's performance a little better. Uh a Derby always throws it up a little bit. You, you can you have to factor the dynamics of that into it. So I won't be overly negative. I'll say it'll be uh it'll be a draw, which will be a better result for them. We'll cancel each other out, it'll be nil-nil. Nil. So we have a nil nil one one and two two draws. Man, I was I was thinking draw two, but I don't want to do that. If you guys are all taking draws, uh, but it is very interesting because you have two teams coming off huge wins and very different wins. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what, man, Neto just Neto's got something going. Man, he's got some magic going. Um, and I feel a little more confident with a back five of the defense, um, holding it down when they need to. 
Um, just so long as we don't play scared. So I'm going to say 1-0 Wolves. Is Neto going to score that goal? Neto will score that goal, yes. I'll tell you, if, if Neto scores on Sunday or, you know, at any time, but especially if it's first, I think that crowd's just going to erupt. I just feel like, you know, he's put in so much work recently. The crowd are really in love with him right now. If he bangs in the first goal, the the atmosphere is just going to get, the roof's going to get blown off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I think he'll happen early, and then it's going to be a lot of butt puckering in the second half. <laughs> yeah. No Stupid Questions is presented by Esfuerzo Wines. Located just north of Santa Barbara, California, Esfuerzo Wines showcases passion and three generations of winemaking in every bottle. So whether you're celebrating a Wolves victory or winding down after a day at work, let Esfuerzo Wines transport you to the heart of California's wine country with every sip. For a limited time, head to EsfuerzoWines.com and use the promo code WOLVES for a 15% discount on your wine purchases. This message is intended for those of legal drinking age. Do not drink and drive. Excessive alcohol consumption may be harmful to your health. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcohol abuse, please seek help. Esfuerzo Wines reminds you to enjoy their products responsibly and in moderation. They've been sprinkled throughout the show, but now it is time for our formal No Stupid Questions segment. This is brought to you exclusively by Esfuerzo Wines. That's showcasing three generations of winemaking in every bottle. And for a limited time, head to EspressoWines.com. Use the promo code WOLVES at the checkout and you will receive a 15% discount on your order. So in addition to those that we've already mentioned tonight, the following have been in touch either by uh, Twitter or Xing us at WLWPod or on our Facebook or by emailing hello at wholelotofwolves.com. And the first one we're going to mention is uh, Stu on Twitter. And he asks, if you could go back and choose a moment in time to start supporting Wolves, when would you choose? Uh, obviously, the Fosun area is as good as we've had it. But are you curious about the 70s? the dark days, the 80s, or the perennial disappointment of the 90s? Look, guys, I'm a Chicago Cubs and a Chicago Bears fan. I've experienced enough disappointment (laughs) in my life. I'm on my third marriage. I I can't, you know, it's not. No, I started following at the exact right time. So I'm good. I'm good. I'll keep that where it's at. If anything, maybe follow them a year earlier. But that's it. Brian? I agree though. I probably started following in the Premier League. So seeing the promotion would have been really cool. Um, not gonna lie, picking it up during the bully years would have been really something. Um and then because Paul, were they in League One or Championship when Bully was there? Championship, right? Well, the 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 bully fairy tale story goes down to what is now League Two. So oh, that's yeah. the that's the fourth tier. So he went on to have two consecutive seasons of scoring 50 goals, which is just unbelievable. And that's what got him the England call up. Mm. So at the time to have a player get called up to the national team that was going from the third division 
effectively, which was like League One now mm. into the championship, that was just unheard of. So that was a real fairy tale story. So if you were following the team through those promotions, seeing him as a local player getting goal after goal week after week all around the country that that would have been phenomenal and that was that was 980 86 87 88 my mm. first game was 87 so i really wasn't following it as avidly as i was so that was that was a special time as well, just because it took him into the England squad. He scored on his debut against Scotland, which is like the arch rivals, and that took him to a World Cup as well. So you had this yeah. player from like the lower tier against all these into like all these star players on the world's biggest stage, just absolutely unheard of. So seeing your face light up from telling that story. Just solidifies my answer right there. <laughs> Bully years. Yeah, I, I have to be a bit boring and say that too, but I've always, I, it's, it feels like such a cop-out to say I feel a connection to Steve Bull because now I'm a Wolves fan and, <laughs> and that's like an obvious choice. But, uh, you know, when I started following, and of course, you know, whenever some major milestone comes up, you know, the Twitter account says, you know, on this day, whatever year this thing happened. And uh, I quickly learned that... Uh, the day that Bully signed is the very day that I was born. November 20th, oh, really? 1986 is the day that Bully signed for Wolves. It was destiny. Uh, and that is, that is <laughs> the day that I was born. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, that you can't, you can't make up that kind of stuff. It's just like Paul said, it's a fairy tale story. And it's, it's also something that'll never really be equal just because the game has changed so much. No one's going to score 306 goals for a, for a team again, just because no one stays with a team for that long. Uh, plus, he had the advantage of, you know, completely outclassing the the fourth and third tier. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and another part that can never be replicated is I don't think we're in an era anymore where someone outside of the top division can ever get called up, especially for a team like England, uh, rightly or wrongly. I mean, I, I would I would argue that it should happen more often, but it's just never going to happen again. And that stuff is just, I mean. You can't you can't top that kind of uh, sports mythology. You know, it, it transcends just the simple like wins that that came along with that. The so only that the, the only other one from a more recent generation that was enjoyable as a fan and to and to go and watch was the McCarthy years because mm. we'd had all of that failure of the 90s when when we had the money we we were always close or something happened and we got let down or we'd make make a playoff run we went up and went down with dave jones the playoff feature is great but it it was one and done but that mccarthy team it it had a really good spirit about it and it was really well crafted it had some really attacking players but it had some proper good honest professionals like Carl Henry, Jody Craddock. It had a really nice blend. Then you had some great attacking talent like Matt Jarvis and Ebanks Blake who scored. So we were able to enjoy that team win in the championship and, and kind of 
pretty much dominate that league, which is great when you've had often years of being shit to actually see us win is always good. And then we went up and it was a struggle, but we held our own and we had some really good performances. We did some good signings and it looked good. Ultimately, it it wasn't prolonged. We didn't have that longevity, but for the time that we had it, that was a really good period to watch for those legacy fans like myself. Yeah, and I've always gathered there's a lot of heroes from that era. When, when I hear people, I mean, obviously from around my age, I suppose, or slightly older, you know, they're like that era produced a lot of 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 players that people still idolize, like Ebanks Blake and and that. Next up, Chase Branch muses on Twitter. How are you coping with the national tragedy <laughs> of Liverpool? being dealt a bad VAR ruling. Are you more tickled that people actually care when it's Liverpool? Oh, sorry. Are you more ticked that people actually care when it's Liverpool or willing to hold your nose if this incident brings about some actual change? Man, these, God, they're such babies. It's incredible. When they we get screwed over by them, they kind of laugh about it. But when it's them, they're like, oh, but... But the decision, would they apologize during the game? Yeah, okay, that's old news. We've gotten that before during the game. So, <laughs> Brian? Yeah, I'd say I think we're on PGMOL apology number four in the last 12 months, aren't we? <laughs> At least. Yeah, no, that was funny. That's, yeah, that was, that I think was, they did officially apologize. In fact, they backed up their decision for the, the Luton penalty. They doubled oh, down yeah. on that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that one is absolutely hilarious. Um, but yeah, will, I mean, will the Barbers would be better. I mean, like, will it ever actually do what we want it to do? No, no one's ever had. I mean, the the Liverpool debacle is actually really farcical, and, and honestly, I find it quite <laughs> hilarious. Not not just because it's happening to Liverpool, but but also because I mean, it's exactly. I okay, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. I knew this. Instantly, when we finally heard the audio from the the Onana on Kalajic, uh non penalty call, because mm-hmm. like I mean we've all had our theories about why VAR sucks so much, but as soon as I heard that, I knew exactly what the problem was, which is that they trained these guys to use the technology. They did not train a process. Like, and I mean this is going to sound real nerdy or or something but it's like it's all about good processes i was just talking to my good friend who's currently uh you know watching his his southampton team try to get back in the premier league and enjoying not having to deal with all this mess but it's just like he he is um he's a vet he's a veterinary um surgeon and so like in the medical field or the military field it's all about processes you know when you hand someone a vial of something when you hand someone a syringe you say exactly what is in it and it's just like the fact that they did not have a process in place that when they're reviewing a thing they're not repeating constantly what the check is for what the field call is all these things that's the important stuff honestly and i'd rather have you have people who are trained in var not necessarily referees because the the skills that are included in like being a good referee include of course knowing the rules but also (laughs) other things like like handling the game and like 
you know, not letting it get out of hand, not dishing out too many yellow cards early, talking to the players, whatever. Mm -hmm. These people who are doing VAR don't need those skills. They need to know the rules inside and out, and they need to adhere to those uh, processes to the absolute letter so that these mistakes don't happen. And I'm now 100% convinced that like 99% of the the missed calls by VAR have just been process errors like that. Because the one oh, at yeah. United was so chaotic when I heard it. I mean, it's just they're all talking over each other, just saying, oh, check complete, check complete, check complete. Meanwhile, the on-field ref is arguing with the players on the field and can't even hear them. It's it's just a complete mess. Anyway, rant over. <laughs> well, I, I, another one to that point, Danny, is that all of that is undone if you've got the semi- automated offside in place that they voted not to implement that perfectly works fine in in other areas that they've they've done so why add to the confusion by not bringing something in that will help all of those parties it just it's staggering that they make these types of decisions consistently and even when they've got the opportunity to utilize technology it's done wrong or badly and process isn't followed and they end up shooting themselves in their in their own foot it's almost like you see like there's so much online about like conspiracy theories and stuff and half the time the more and more you think about conspiracy theories you're like no people are too dumb to be this organized and that's the problem <laughs> with bars you're right like it seems so simple you should just train VAR officials to only be VAR officials. And it would be such a different skill set than to your point of having to look up at, I don't know, like some giant center back who's six foot six staring down at you and screaming at you and telling him to calm the fuck down. Like it is <laughs> not the same job. And I mean, people get so worked up about it because they're like, oh, they're rigging the league and stuff. They're like, no, they're too. They're too disorganized. The more you learn about Premier League, the more you realize it's just a bunch of dudes. And they're not, they're not, most of them aren't very like organized about their jobs. It's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I mean, my favorite part of this is the fact that they said check complete, thinking that it was rule the goal on the field. And so I I don't want to hear the audio during the check. I want to hear the audio like a minute later when they see the when kickoff. When they're about going, to take the free like, kick. Uh, yeah, when they're going, uh-oh. Guys, guys. <laughs> it's just absurd. It's absurd. They need like but anyway, MLB. Couldn't, MLB couldn't has that to a nicer set of yeah, uh, fans yeah, than, screw than Liverpool. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, MLB has that central replay center in New York. For all the games that they go to, they make the decision. That's what, you know, like you said, we just need VAR referees and they're not at the stadium or anywhere. So that is no stupid questions for anything that you want to ask relating to the club. Send it through to us on the socials or email hello at wholelotofwolves.com. All right, Brian. How can we get a hold of you? You can go check us out at the Charlotte Wolves Facebook groups by the, the easiest way. Also at, at Wolf Charlotte on Twitter, as I, I still will not call it X because I think that's silly. Um, yeah, Facebook groups definitely the fastest way. Um, or you can just reach out to me. I'm, this is my name, Brian Donnelly, D-O-N-L-E-Y. Uh, it's just Brian Donnelly 8 at Twitter. Uh, so we actually are officially... Uh, official club recognized supporters club now, which I'm very Woo-hoo. excited about. 
That's awesome. Congrats. Uh, so you can also see us on Worldwide Wolves. Uh, I said we're we're probably meeting up for Born Myth. I think we'll probably be our next meetup. And remember, listeners, if you are getting together with a group in your city for watch parties, then be sure to get in touch and we'll help you publicize it across our channels. And in fact, if you'd like to come on as a guest, like Brian has done of the podcast to do this in person, then you're encouraged to get in touch and we'll bring you on a future episode. So thank you to Danny on the socials, Alex on the dials. We'll be back this time next week to review the Villa performance ahead of another international break. So until then, we can say it's with some meaning and some positivity this week, people. Up the mighty wolves.